Good morning, Somas Church. Wow, we're not, we're not a whole bunch of us here this morning, is there? Oh, people are straggling in. Yeah, that's okay. It's kind of, what's that? It is. It got hot last night in the middle of the night. I don't know if you noticed that. But I was roasting. I told my wife, I think it's because of the Chinese food I had for dinner or something. Anyway, I wanted to read a scripture to you. I, this, uh, you know, with this... Uh, Restrictions on singing and chanting. I hope no one's into chanting this morning, but um, we have to, you know, we want to be lawful. We want to obey the authorities and, and, uh, and do things um, in a manner that is uh, consistent with the wishes of, of those in authority over us. Um, so for that reason, I'm doing worship by myself this morning, and, uh, but you're welcome to sing along with me as you would uh, like to. And then if not, uh, that's okay. You can always hum. You know why bees hum? Right. <clears throat> and you know why they uh, buzz? No, they buzz. You would too if somebody stole your honey and nectar. All right. Okay, a little humor there. Very little. Anyway. Welcome again. Now I'm going to sing, ring a passage here from you, from, read a passage to you from Psalms 33, and it says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Uh, it says, Praise the Lord with harp, make music to him with the ten string lyre and videos. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. But it says, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Amen to that. Anyway, we're going to sing some, some songs that you're familiar with. Believe? So stand, would you?
again, welcome this morning. If you walked in during that song, we're in Soma's Church, and uh, this is a chance for our kids to get to go to Kids Club. We have a neat thing for them, and you're all ready to get going there. This is also a chance for us to see who our kids are. All right, I heard so many passages this week about singing and not singing and so forth. I thought I'd share another passage with you that says, Psalm 81. It says, sing for the joy, sing for joy to God, our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the tambourine. Play the melodious harp and the lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon and when the moon is full. And on the feast day, this is the decree of Israel, for Israel, an ordinance from God, the God of Jacob. So we're commanded to sing. But we're not telling anybody. heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together love.
love to sing your praises I'm so glad you're in my life I'm so glad you came to save us You came from heaven to earth To show the way from the earth to the cross So glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death and pain from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on. You came from heaven to earth to show. the cross, my dead to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on. Those songs are worth clapping to, I got to tell you. I want to read you another scripture about praising the Lord. It's so cool. Psalms 92, where it says, It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Lord, most high, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the tin-strunged lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand. That although the wicked spring up like grass and all the evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. That's pretty appropriate. It's difficult times. We're, We're seeing... It seems like we're seeing in a period of time where we're seeing what we would see lawlessness and evil flourishing and and those people that love God and and uh, the righteous uh, being told to be quiet and uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes and uh, but we know it does that it, God is making sense of it all and that he will have justice just as he's promised in his word we don't have to be the ones that make it happen. He will do it. And so uh, we just rest in that and trust God. Um, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these, uh, these songs that these uh, people that you've raised up have written, how profound they are and how they speak so deeply to our hearts. And even though we've sung them a thousand times, we could sing them forever because they are true and uh, they are based on your word and your word is true. Uh, Lord, we uh, are here humbled by <clears throat> our inability to, to change the world and make it the way we think it should be. But we know that you are in control and that you, uh, you hear our prayers. And when we, we pray for peace, you will give it. When we pray for justice, you will make it happen. We pray for um, civility and for people uh, to love each other and to uh, care about each other more deeply and have greater concern for justice and fairness and, and uh, goodness, you will answer those prayers. And so we, that's what our prayer, Father. And we know that you will be the arbiter of, of good and evil, and we don't have to do that. We rest in that, and thank you, Lord. And <clears throat> so, Father, this morning, as, um, as Pastor Jeff as speaks to us, Father, we thank you for his uh, love for you and his, uh, his wisdom in the Word of God. And we ask that you would bring to his memory and his, um, 
his thoughts, everything that he's prepared for us to share. We thank you, Lord, that you raise up, even from Somas, you raise up men of God who can speak the word. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. And I do want to introduce Jeff Lane. Um, Jeff grew up in this church. Many of you know him. Some of you don't. And some of you are new faces. But uh, Jeff, come on up and teach us from the Word of God, would you? Thank you, Joe. All right. How's everybody? Is that my fault? Okay. If you could turn it down a little, because I'll talk loud, because it's echoing in my ear. As Joe, thank you, Joe, for worship, I felt like I was at my first summer camp when I did youth ministry, because those songs were all the rage back then. We're like, oh, check out this new song, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. And I was, kids are going crazy, and it was a lot of fun. And um, um, I grew up in this church. If you could turn that down just a touch more. Thank you. Is that me? Father that actually built, physically built this church, and I gave my heart to the Lord. 1977, in this corner, the, the stage was in the corner over there. Thank you. I think we're okay now, just in case. Back up. And um, went to school here, and so this has always been my, my spiritual home, really. And um, super excited for you guys. And I think Gary got, as Joe pointed out, Gary got through the L, to the L's in his phone book before someone said they would come and preach because he called me on Thursday and I said, um, gosh, I'm honored, you know, but it was a little bit strange. So anyway, what is the motto of this church anyway? Love God and love people or others. So where does that come from? The Bible, this is summer camp, uh, this is youth groups, the Bible, Jesus, or God, those are the three answers. comes from the Bible, so that's what we're going to look at today is the, the motto of this church, and rightly so should be the motto of every church, really, and almost is if you look for it, you can see it in there. They try to make it new and spruce it up, but it's the same message. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 22, and I'm just going to pray real quick while you find it. Father, we thank you for... Um, your many blessings in our lives, and we thank you that in the midst of these troubled times, we can come to your word and find comfort. Help us, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be in accordance with your word and the very motto of this church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but if you want to stand, you can. And I almost forgot to put my glasses on. I was like, I can't. This is hieroglyphs. What's going on? Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse, let's go to the verse 34. I think it's verse 36 up there, but I'm going to start back a couple. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, You shall love, your, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So let's put a little context to this. Jesus had come into Jerusalem to the praise of all the people before we get to this passage. He then sets himself up in the temple and says, here I am for inspection. And this is in accordance with the Passover sacrificial lamb that had to be inspected by the chief priests in order to be found without spot and blemish, in order to be the perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus puts himself on display and allows any questions to come. And at this time, the religious leaders had a lot of questions about Jesus. Who is this guy? He's getting a lot of attention. We don't really know where he came from. He hasn't come from us. He hasn't come from the, the uh, spiritual leadership of Israel. He's an outsider, and so we have some questions for him. They were suspicious of him from the beginning, and now they get to come with their questions. 
And I don't know about you, but I try to put myself in the story. And I imagine a line of religious leaders and like Jesus is sitting on the temple steps and, you know, they're like, what are you going to ask him? Oh, I'm going to ask him about taxes, man. I've always wanted to know what he thinks about taxes. The other guy, I'm going to ask him about what's the greatest commandment, you know. And one by one, Jesus is like, yeah, come on. And he just swats them aside. Their heads explode. And we get to a point just after this where they realized they couldn't trick him. They couldn't beat him. He had an answer for everything. And the scripture tells us that nobody dared ask him any more questions. The fulfillment of this inspection of the Passover lamb comes on the day of Jesus' crucifixion when Pontius Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. This is what's happening. This is the context. Now, see, the, the law, these, these guys are interested in the law of God. And it's, it's easy to do is to look at the Ten Commandments and think, wow, can I do this? In my life, can I follow these? And the religious leaders said, yes, this is our endeavor. This is our purpose is to, to follow the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments were never meant to be fulfilled by humans. I mean, I look at them and I go, four or five, maybe? <laughs> if I, I might be able to... to there's a few, no problem. Stealing, don't have a problem with that. I, I, you know, maybe if you get too close, like maybe I took a pin from work, you know, I don't know if that counts. It could. But it was always meant to be a standard. This is what God is about. This is his character and his nature. The Ten Commandments. And we are to look at them and say we have no hope. How can we possibly fulfill the Ten Commandments? Because our goal in the end is to be right with God or righteous. And the religious leaders endeavored to follow the law in order to be right with God. The evangelical Christian realizes that we cannot fulfill the Ten Commandments in our flesh. We might think we can make people think that we're fulfilling them because they don't know us but we can't. It was always meant to be a standard that we could not reach. There's only one that reached that standard. And so, Moses, Moses received 613 statutes on Mount Sinai. In the rabbinical schools of first century Israel, there was a double tendency. One was to expand the law endlessly. And we can see that in the Talmud. The Talmud took 613 precepts and turned them into 6,200 pages of law. If you go and try to, because somebody said, you know, you can imagine if, if, if any of you have been to a staff meeting, you know, you're sitting around and somebody says something that everyone understands, but there's that one guy in the corner that has to ask, well, it says don't do any work. What is work? Oh, okay. You, I mean, if I walk long enough that I break a sweat, am I working? Yes. Okay. So if you go to Orthodox Jewish neighborhoods, you'll see Orthodox Jewish men walking around with stools in their hands. If they walk too far and begin to perspire, they put the stool down and they sit down in order not to break this commandment. <laughs> so they expanded the law from 613 precepts in Mount Sinai to 6,200 pages in the Talmud or the written law. Now there was also a double tendency in these rabbinical schools was to reduce the law to a single statement. David reduced 613 precepts into 11 in Psalm 15. Isaiah reduced 11 precepts to six in Isaiah 33. I think they're up there. Yeah. I guess I could look back there. Micah reduced six to three. Isaiah reduced three to two. And finally, Habakkuk reduced them all to one, that the just shall live by faith. So Jesus, following in this manner of reductionism, answered the lawyer's questions by saying, love God, love others, or love people. And in this, all of the law and the prophets hangs. Okay, so we can, now, now we're down to two. 
This is a worthy goal. First of all, love God. Why should we love God? The very first reason we should is because Jesus eliminates the law as a, as a method or means of righteousness. So no longer are we counted righteous if we can fulfill this 6,200 pages of law. Okay? No longer is that how we are in right standing with God. It is through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That should be a cause for love, I think. Second, 1 John tells us in 4.19 that we love him because he first loved us. Backed up by Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These are all reasons to love God first and foremost, foundational. Why do you love God? Because he made me right with God. He has put me in righteous standing before God. And this is the great issue, and it's a great cultural struggle of our lives when you talk to people of a different, you know, I mean, we've, we've got so many things going on these days. And when you talk to people and they, they want to create God in their own image, whatever their sexual orientation is or whatever their decision about what right and wrong is, they want to approach God based on their understanding. And I, I am like totally open. I say, you know, if you can be whoever you want to be, I don't care. I love you. You're the Imago Dei. You are a child of God. But if you want to talk about being in right standing with God, that's a different issue. And unless you accept the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. You don't get to believe whatever you want to believe and go to heaven. That's the bottom line. So I don't have to, you know, they, they try to, you know, when we get into these discussions, it's like, hey, man, it's not, it's not my trip. That's between you and God. I see what I see, and this is what I'm trying to follow. And so God demonstrates his love that while we were still sinners, this is the great mystery and the great conflict within the church. Because so many times we run into people and they say things like, as soon as I get my life together, I'll go to church. I can't walk in there. I'll get struck by lightning. God doesn't love me because of who I am today. If I could just become somebody that he could love, somebody that would honor him, then I would participate in this thing called Christianity or a walk with God. And unfortunately, that's backwards. He catches his fish and then he cleans them. And if you allow God to come into your life and, and do a work, regardless of what you think of yourself, or this idea that you have about him looking down at you with displeasure. The Bible, the gospel, it, it's a message of hope, and it's a message of come as you are, and allow the process to begin of sanctification. This is beautiful, but unfortunately, sometimes we're guilty in the church we don't want to tell our secrets to each other. And sometimes we leave because we're ashamed or something happens. I remember my sister in 1977 got pregnant out of wedlock. My father was a deacon in this church. The discussion around the family table, maybe we can ship her off to our relatives in Missouri. Maybe we can do something with her so that the church won't find out. And that's a sad commentary, but it's... Oftentimes, back then, it really was. But you know what? We walked through it, and everything was fine. And I think the more transparent we become and the more intimate we become in our church, the closer that we'll be. And this is all part of loving people. See, when I hear love people, I think, great, I got to go mow my neighbor's lawn. Man, I don't want to do that. Maybe you're the type of person that if your neighbor calls or your friend calls, you, you know, you jump up and go help them and you, you get home and the wife says, what'd you do? Oh, I helped Bob put a roof on his house for the last three days. Oh, can you take the trash out? Oh, God, honey, come on. Pastor, she's always getting on me. She's wanting me to do stuff all the time, blah, blah, blah. Well, you helped your buddy put a roof on his house. W what's the deal here? Sometimes loving people begins right in our own house. And, you know, it takes, it takes some of the pressure off because if you're not the kind of person that wants to go help your neighbor every time, because you know what happens. 
then they start coming to you all the time. You know, and it's like, dude, I helped you once, man. Come on, relax. Trust me, I know, because my neighbor across the street, he's the kindest guy in the world, and he shops at Costco, and he's got 27 of everything in his kitchen. And if you need something, you know, he's got 20 of them. And so it's a one-way street of groceries coming across to my house. Hey, you got an egg, you got a cup of milk, you know, and, um, but he's so loving that he would never say anything. For 20 years, my wife and I have like, we got to get them like a $1,000 gift card to Costco because of all the food we've had coming one direction. But anyway, this is a wonderful picture of our condition. One, we are born lame. We are unable to walk spiritually in the way that God requires. Two, we are poor as sinners. We cannot pay the debt of sin that we owe. Three, We are outside the temple, unable to fellowship with God, unable to be in right relationship with him because of our sin nature. Finally, by the grace of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, this man was healed by God's grace and faith in Christ. We are saved. We are made able to walk. The debt is paid. We go into the temple praising and rejoicing God. These are reasons to love God. But if we don't believe that that's our condition because our ego wants to tell us that we're good, it's all those other people, but I'm all right, and we don't, uh, people outside of the church that don't recognize their need for Christ, this is the big issue. I'm a good person. I don't really, you know, I don't see the need because you don't understand that you were born lame and you're outside the temple and you're bankrupt. You cannot pay the debt. Hell is real. Heaven is real. It's going to happen. Jesus was a real person. He really came. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. These are all indicators that the Bible is true and you're not allowed to approach God in your own thinking. I have a higher power and we're cool, you know. And I'm just a very spiritual person. Like sometimes I don't even want to walk on the grass because I'm afraid I'm going to break the blades of grass. That's how spiritual I can be. You know, if you have Christ, if you don't have Christ, I'm sorry, that counts for nothing. God's grace was cause for rejoicing, salvation, and should be cause for us to praise God. Love is the supreme ethic. Where there is the possibility of love, there is the reality of free will. Where is the, the reality of free will, there is inevitably the possibility of sin. Where there is sin, there is need for a savior. Where there is a savior, there is hope for redemption. And only in God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, does this sequence find its total expression and answer. The story from sin to redemption is, is only in the gospel with the ultimate provision of a loving God. This reality should produce love for God. And I'll give you three ways to love God. Love God, love his word, love his son. Those three things. If you do those, that's an expression of love. And our love for others, our love for God should find its natural expression in our love for others. We believe that every person is created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, deserving of love, respect, consideration. Our goal is to be intentional in our love for others and sharing the love of Christ with each other and our community. And this is trying times. These are difficult times. I stopped watching news four years ago and my life is amazingly more peaceful. When I turn it on, my blood begins to boil, and I begin to hate people that I see on the news. I begin to hate the things that are happening, things that I hold dear, and I begin to really revile these people, and I'm like, is this how I'm supposed to be feeling? How do I balance this desire to maintain institutions that I love? Even the mask wearing and the singing I find difficult when I read the Bible and the understanding that the Bible says that we're supposed to obey the authorities, they were in a totalitarian emperor form of government when this was written. We are we the people, so there's a real struggle here. We are supposed to be the sovereign. And what is the great test for the church in these times? I wanna leave you some comfort. Every generation has their time. 
I was a kid in the 60s, but I can only imagine how people felt in the 60s watching the protest and the Vietnam War and everything that was going on. That must have been very traumatic and very troubling. I can only imagine in World War II when they'd read the newsreels and, and entire uh, communities of men are gone off to war and everyone's concerned and, and there's real fear out there. I can only imagine the, the days of the stock market crash in the 20s and, and the poverty that struck the nation after that and, and how they felt. So every generation has its tests and perhaps this is ours and perhaps this is the church's test. I'm called to love. And when I see godless, what I perceive to be godless people tearing down our history and, and, and seemingly um, just incoherent, you know, there's, there's no context to it, I, I seethe. And I wonder, God, am I supposed to love these people? The word tells me they're the image of God. How do I love people that I, I, I want to loathe? <laughs> And this is the great test. I don't know about you. I know that I have some friends that are very loving and they're like, oh, those kids, you know, they're, they're going to figure it out. Oh, my God, I hope so, please. But maybe if I just don't buy into that, I don't allow that to fester. I realize there may be change coming. And how is the church going to respond? Can you imagine the disciples when Jesus told them the temple was going to be torn down? And they're like, what? The temple? Are you kidding? The temple is still in ruins today. I hate to, to imagine that, you know, this country is not the apple of God's eye. And he's not totally, you know, just in love with us and forget everybody else. You know, maybe change is coming. And how are we going to respond as a church? Are we going to love? Are we going to continue the supreme ethic. Difficult times. And, you know, the thing about loving others, and I get off of that part, but let's go back to our daily lives. Right now, today, we go outside, everything's okay. We're all right. We're going to be okay. So how do we love within the context of a marriage we sacrifice for our husband and wife? You know, um, the guy that goes and helps his friend put a roof on for three days, what, what is he doing? Does he want to be seen as that guy? Does he get respect and thanks that he's not getting at home? Does he get something that's missing? Or does he just really want to help? And the husband that doesn't serve his wife and doesn't honor his wife, what's going on there? This, this is, for me, this is where love begins in the house. Because when we say love others, oh gosh, I got to go out there and find some strangers to love. I got to just be loving, make, makes a pie for my neighbor or something. It begins with the very people in our circle or our sphere of influence. And let it grow naturally from there. And loving strangers, go for it. Do it. This is the expression of God's love in our hearts. The sad reality is we can do a lot of these things without having love. I mean, I can act like I love someone. I don't know how to make myself love someone. You ever, you ever tried to do that? Like, I'm supposed to love this guy, but man, he makes it really easy for me not to love him. So I've, it, it's a feeling, right? And so I can do things for him without love that appear to be loving. Paul points this out in Corinthians 13. We all know it's always read at every wedding, practically in every church. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all the faith so that I could move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Sorry, this isn't the marriage one. <laughs> And though I bestow all my goods and feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Oh, wait a minute. How do we do this? There's hope. It's a process. And we're going to finish in 2 Peter chapter. I think it says 1 Peter up there, but it's 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. If I can get there. Second 
all the way in the back. Peter writing, To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life, godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which having given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, and here's the process, Add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So God does not leave us without a path to achieve this, and it's a process. And some of us are on various parts of this process. So we need to look at that and say, what's the next step for me? You know, I used to have this job at this gas station, and I hated this guy I worked with. I was, I don't know, I was like 25 at the time, and um, I had just gotten sober, okay? I just celebrated 25 years of sobriety a couple of days ago, and early in my sobriety, this guy drove me so batty. I went to my sponsor at the time, and I said, this guy's killing me. I just, I can't, I don't even want to go to work. I would just watch him and go, look at the way he walks. I, God, you know, and, and my, my sponsor says, he owns you. I said, what do you mean? I said, he's renting space in your head for free. You give him all that power over you. And I'm like, huh? No, 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 it's him, it's him. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray for that guy for two weeks straight. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll pray for him. I pray he gets hit by a truck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm literally, I'm no saint, and these were my thoughts. But I knew also that my thoughts led me to places that, you know, were not where Christ wanted me to go. And so I listened, and I said, fine, I'll pray for him. God, I pray for Doug. Thanks. Amen. And I told him, I don't know, it's not working, so I'll pray for him everything you want in your life. Oh. Oh. I pray Doug gets a new car. I pray Doug gets a wife. I pray Doug gets a, you know, whatever. And then, you know, as I began to get, as this process started to go, it began, God, I pray for Doug that he would have peace in his heart, because these are the things I really wanted. I wanted peace. I wanted to not be owned by this guy. I wanted to not be owned by this, this feeling inside that I couldn't seem to, to get rid of. And by the end of that two weeks, it was as if I was praying for myself using his name. And as the Lord is my witness, at the end of that two weeks, I was not, <laughs> I did not hate that guy. <laughs> In fact, I began to pity him because I began to think and consider him as a person. He was no longer this image of something that I detested, but he was an actual person. And I began to listen to his stories and, and find out about who he was. And dare I say I began to love him? I don't know, but I didn't hate him anymore. And that was enough because it had changed my attitude towards him. And right now, if you're thinking about someone, and, and, you know, if you're thinking about someone in your life, you're like, I, that's the guy. That's the girl. I need to pray for them. Two weeks straight without failing, your attitude will completely change. I promise you. It's a gift. It's a promise. It really works. These are the ways that we can demonstrate our love. First, love God. Love him. Love his word. Love his son. Love his creatures. Because we're all the same, really. Those are the things that we want. I want to be loved. I want to be known, and I want to know. And we owe that to God's creation, I believe. 
Lord, we thank you so much that you are so loving and so patient with us. That, Lord, deserving of judgment, you had pity, you had a plan for us, and you sent your son Jesus to pay the cost that we might be in right standing with you. We could never repay that, Lord. We could never do enough good works, enough good deeds to pay for that. So we receive it. We receive it as you intended it, freely. Help us to share that love with others, that we might honor you. Help us during these trial, troubled and difficult times that we face, that we might pass this test. Give us wisdom to know what to do. We thank you. We pray for all the churches gathered and not gathered this Sunday, that your spirit would comfort them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now Joe's going to come back up. Thank you. I love this church. I, I just don't understand why this place isn't packed right now with people all over Somos that want to hear that message of forgiveness. And we know before, um, even when we were sinners, Christ died for us and forgave us. All we got to do is accept it. It's like taking groceries from your neighbor. It's right there. And <laughs> we don't have to pay it back. Anyway, thank you, Jeff. That was great. I All week I've been praying for Jeff and uh, looking forward to hearing him speak. And uh, we hope he'll come back and do it again and, and bless us more. Um, anyway, uh, great Sunday morning. Our pastor, as you well know, maybe you do know their, their, uh, their daughter, uh, son, son and daughter-in-law did have a little girl, right? And, you know, it's one of those typical 21 ounce or 21 inch, six pounds, seven ounces. They're all the same. <laughs> you know, you have to be. So anyway, um, just want to say, oh, glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm always blessed. I never leave this place without just feeling just great and being, uh, and, and you could leave here feeling pretty bad if you, if you haven't accepted the Lord's forgiveness for your life, right? You'd be You'd be thinking, hmm, I better get this straightened out. But I think we all know that uh, we are all love each other and love the Lord. And that's what this church is, has been. Uh, we were talking about that this morning about how uh, amazing uh, Cindy and Gary have been as, as our pastor and as pastor's wife. And they, uh, uh, I don't think we could be more blessed with uh, a pastor who could uh, exemplify Christ to a community and endear a community of people to this church. And so it's, things have really uh, changed. Anyway, I hope you're going to have a good day. I hope you got a lot of fun things planned on. But, but before you leave, I thought we, we just, you know, this is California, but I'd like the you to see what's going church. on in Texas. So let's put our hands together.